Hey, welcome to Spiritpreneur School. You're on with Aviola, and today, as usual, we are taking self-love to self-launch. Spiritpreneur School is an empowerment podcast for conscious entrepreneurs created by me just for you. And this is a can't-miss conversation with my very own editor, Alyssa McGowan, who is the owner and book midwife over at Red Pen for Rent. Now, I have to tell you that this is really exciting for me to have this conversation and share Alyssa with you because I feel like she is like a best kept secret and I don't want her to be a best kept secret. So if you are either wanting to write a book or feeling like you should write a book, or have written a book and want to write another, then this is the conversation for you. So let me tell you a bit about her company. Um, Alyssa is based in Chattanooga, Tennessee, but you can work with her anywhere because she works virtually. And it's interesting because I'm I'm looking at, you know, her specialties, which are fantasy, science fiction, lesbian fiction, romance, business, self-help, and memoir. And I know that that definitely covers, you know, all of the people that my spiritpreneurs that I've encountered. So, Alyssa, tell us a bit about, you know, yourself and your business. Um, well, <laughs> Redfin for Rent is a full-service self-publishing support company. So um, we started – I'm an editor. I started out um, in corporate proofreading several years back, and um, I have both a bachelor's and a master's in English literature, and I was working as a corporate proofreader, and then I did a brief stint as a catalog production manager for a classic car auction house in L.A. where I was in charge of – basically the whole process of getting the catalog written and then produced. And then I realized that I wanted to do that, but with writers who were writing stuff that I was interested in um, and work on books. And so I started an editing company that, um, that evolved into this full service self-publishing support thing. So we're indie author advocates. Uh, my team and I help authorpreneurs, uh, take their their work from manuscript to professional publication quality books. So we have um I have proofreaders, I have designers and marketing people and so we we help people with the whole process of self publishing, basically. Now Alyssa I have to tell you that the the category of editor is very confusing for some people because there are so many different kinds of editing. Uh, a funny example is when my video editor was editing an interview that I did with my, my I write a magazine column, I write a, an advice column for Essence magazine. And my Essence, I interviewed my Essence editor, my video editor, she edited it and she called her a copy editor in the text on the screen because she didn't, and I was like, no, 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 she would be very offended. She's not a copy editor and she didn't understand why. So can you explain the different types of editing? I know that your company covers them all pretty much. Um, and, you know, 
just specifically what who needs what kind of editor when <laughs> um, well yeah so there are there are many different types of editing and the lines between them are very blurry honestly um it's it's basically up to the editor you know basically everyone decides where they're going to draw those lines because there's no hard and fast rules but as a general rule um there's developmental or Sometimes it's also called content editing, which looks at the big picture. Um, if there are plot holes or, you know, like large structural issues or like or like with your book that we worked on together, the Sacred Bombshell Handbook of Self-Love, we started with developmental editing because there was a lot of organizational stuff that we were trying to work out. Um, so that kind of big picture stuff is developmental slash content. Um, and then there's substantive editing or line editing, um, which looks more um, like more at the at the text and um, like the sentences and the paragraphs. And it's more it's more focused um, rather than looking at those those big picture things. It's starting to look at the the more more of the details. <laughs> um, it looks at the foundation and the meat. So we're looking at what works and what doesn't. It's for manuscripts that are in a final draft stage, but need more editorial assistance than just copy editing. So we're looking at, and we're always looking at your manuscript from a holistic standpoint. So we're looking at the content, the organization, the presentation, continuity, repetition, awkward or confusing language. Um, we're checking to make sure that your text is well-organized, readable, intelligible. Um, so we're looking at the big picture still, but in a more focused way. And that might include reorganization or rewriting at the sentence or paragraph level, um, but it's not getting down to the more nitty-gritty of copy editing, which looks at um, that's more the detailed line-by-line -line review. Um, so we're checking to make sure that your work is clear, concise, coherent, consistent, and correct, the five C's of copy editing. Um, so we are looking at how the text flows, the syntax. We might suggest slight reorganization or revision or clarification. We're looking at technical aspects like spelling and grammar and usage. Um, so we're we're still looking at the bigger the bigger picture too and if there are still issues there we'd be pointing those out but those aren't things that we're focusing on at this stage and then comes so a manuscript when it comes to us might need might start any of those places it de it depends it varies a lot so um because basically all basically all Manuscripts will go through these phases, but not all writers need an editor at all those phases, right? So um, so you start with your rough draft, and then you're going to look at it. You or your beta readers um, are going to, or your editor, depending, are going to look at it with a developmental eye. You're going to look at the big picture stuff. You're going to make sure that everything makes sense, that your plot makes sense, or that if it's a nonfiction, that, that everything, you know, that the organization makes sense and things flow. And so you're going to look at that big picture stuff. And then you're going to look, then you're going to start looking more at the sentence structure and the grammar and making sure that that is all good. And are you repeating words too often and those kind of things. So then you're getting into the substantive phase and then down to copy editing. So 
When people come to us, we start now with the first date, which is where I read the entire manuscript and my marketing director reads the first chapter or two. Um, and then I provide a sample edit and an evaluation about just about one page, a little mini evaluation that explains the sample edit and the service that we're recommending. And then you get a 30-minute consult with my marketing director and I to talk about your big picture vision for this project and why are you publishing this? You know, what is it that you're, what is it that you're hoping to accomplish with this work that you're going to put out into the world? Um, so we look at everything from a holistic standpoint. And from the very beginning, we're also thinking about marketing because as a self-publishing, as an indie author, you always need to be looking at it that way. You know, it's a business. And so it's got to be a balance of, you know, thinking about how are you going to market this? How are you going to sell it? And holding true to your creative vision, obviously. Um, so <laughs> I think that more or less answered your question. Oh, so the first date is how I determine where authors are, where the manuscript is in the in the process when it comes to me. So I'll look at it and I'll say, okay, these are the things that I'm seeing in your manuscript, and so I recommend copy editing or substantive editing or developmental editing, whatever it may be. And then proofreading is the final step, which we do in conjunction with um, interior design layout. Um, and so we have a second person who's not me because I've already edited your book and looked at it, and I'm almost as close to it as you are at this point. So we have a second person look over it at the proofreading phase and check for grammar and punctuation and typos and that kind of stuff. Okay, okay, wait, let's let's break some of that down just because I know that it, it sounds like, you know, it could be a lot of information for someone who is – the unfamiliar they're gonna be like what oh my gosh <laughs> so let's take it way back and let's talk about um why people you know even though you broke down the different kinds of editing and as you said not every author will need every kind of editor at every time every stage i want to clarify that you're not saying that people don't need an editor because one of the first places you know as creative people you know authors are notoriously you know often running low on funds and the first place that people think that they will skimp is on the editing and so can you talk about why editing is necessary even if someone is a professional well it's usually not the professional writers, actually, that I have to convince that they need an editor. <laughs> it's people who just, you know, have a story to tell and um, are telling their story or writing their motivational book or whatever and figure, well, I'm going to just put it out there because message is the most important thing. Can you talk about why people need an editor and, and do you believe that everyone needs an editor? I do. Um, everyone needs an editor. You cannot edit your own work. You just can't do it. I can't edit my own work. No one can. You will miss things in your own work. You will see things that you thought you wrote. You will read what you will read what you intended to write, not what is actually there. So you cannot edit your own work. It is absolutely impossible. So I do think everyone everyone who is publishing something needs an editor. Yes. If you're writing, you know, like if you're writing and you're putting it out there for public consumption, then, and if you're, if you're doing that yourself, if you're going to be an indie author, then it is now your responsibility to uphold the quality standards set by the traditional publishing world. And especially as self-publishing has become, it's growing by leaps and bounds, and the stigma is going away, and it is becoming a more, 
you know, accepted and and it's and it's great it's wonderful that that people can maintain control over their writing careers in that way um but that means that to stand out from the bajillions of other self-published books out there you have to you have to uphold a quality standard that's going to make people want to read your stuff you know it's distracting uh, typos and errors and logical inconsistencies and all kinds of things you know things that you can't see in your own stuff at the very very least you need a beta reader <laughs> multiple beta readers um but i absolutely think that that everyone needs an editor and that um that objective outside set of eyes is absolutely crucial to a professional quality product. If you are trying to produce a professional quality product, then you need an editor. Well said. Well said. I think that it's important also that, you know, I know that whenever my coaching clients are talking about writing a book that I ask them to be able to answer for themselves, you know, the questions of why this book, why are you the author to write it? Why does it have to be written now? You know, just to be able to rather than, okay, well, I have this that I want to tell um, that marketing is going to be at the other side of it. So I love that mm -hmm. people start out with a consultation with your marketing director. Can you talk about what the marketing of a book is and the different genres? Because there was a woman, another quick example, um, who was on Twitter who was saying, you know, that she had written this book, but now she didn't know who her audience was going to be and it was it seemed a little bit kind of turned on its head can you talk a bit about that please um well marketing is kind of a, a new thing for me um i'm definitely not the marketing expert which is why i've partnered with someone who is right um but we um let me think <laughs> how do i answer this um I mean, she, I can talk about a little bit about what she does. I mean, she talks, she talks to people about what their message is, what their, what their book is about, who they see as their target audience. She helps people refine who that target audience is and then helps you figure out where to find those people. Now, I'm not entirely sure how she does this because I have no idea how to market. If I knew how to market myself, Red Pen for Rent would be a hell of a lot bigger than it is. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Um, so, so we're no, kind I, of just, I'm kind of, sorry, go ahead. I, no, I'm going to just jump in and just, you know, piggyback on what you're saying that I think that it's really important because, you know, the first thing that we will say as creative people, you know, I know that I've said it in the past before I knew, uh, better that, well, this is for everyone because you want to reach everyone. But you say, well, this is for everybody, but nothing is for everybody. And by trying to reach everyone, you end up reaching no one. And so one yes. of the ways that I learned that marketing, for example, is very important was when my debut novel, my first book was published by Simon & Schuster, and it is a hip-hop um, satirical retelling of Faust. The classic German fable of Faust, but with a female character in the, you know, hip hop world, like a very, you know, kind of eclectic literary book. It was taught at Amherst. And I had the experience where I didn't know that you had to be clear yourself about marketing and poss I possibly would have had meetings with the marketing team at Simon & Schuster to clarify for them because they didn't know. So they figured, okay, it's a hip hop book, hip hop audience. Now there's a genre of books 
called street fiction. Um, and street fiction is, you know, quick, down, dirty, you know, books about, like, drug dealing and that sort of thing, usually written by people who are in that life. And it has – it's a huge, huge field and a huge, huge genre, but this book wasn't that. So if you take a literary retelling of Faust and then you give it to people who are looking for street fiction and accurate accounts of people who have grown up in gang lifestyle and gang warfare because what the books have in common is hip-hop, then that's completely mismarketed. <laughs> completely yeah. mismarketed. That's what was happening, you know, at the beginning until, you know, thankfully, you know, other people who had started to read the book started to then make recommendations. And then the book found its audience, you know, which started out as, you know, very educated black women who were the character and could relate to the character um, and then widened from there to people of all backgrounds who were interested in a more fun literary read. So that's an example of how marketing could go awry um, if you're not very specific about who your book is for, who are who is it aimed at. It's not for everyone. Nothing is for everyone. Alyssa's not for yeah. everyone. I'm not for everyone. Right. And that's, so I, you know, that's one thing that I've run into with my business, too. Like, until very recently, I was like, I don't I don't want to exclude anyone. And, you know, like, I I'm open to work with anyone, but it's not it's not just anyone. It's it's anyone who has a project that I can support wholeheartedly. You know, it's someone with a project that sets my soul on fire with a a, a fiction book or a nonfiction one that has some message or story that really speaks to me on a deeper level, you know, something that I can really happily put the might of my company behind. And so it took me a long time to really figure out how to narrow that down. And for a long time, I was thinking in the wrong ways. And um, earlier, talking about my specialties, and that's actually something I'm going to take off of my website, because I don't think that that genre is really the most important thing in terms of what we can and want to work on. Um, so that's one thought that I had. And the other thing is um, that marketing encompasses so much. It encompasses more than you initially think about. Like marketing is not just what do we do with this book after it's it's published, but it's also the cover design and the synopsis. Those are two huge marketing pieces. Those are the first things that someone sees when they find your book, right? Like they, they see the cover and they see the 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 writing on the back or the synopsis on Amazon, and that's what they're basing their purchasing decisions on, that and reviews, obviously. But, you know, two things, your two biggest marketing tools are your cover and your synopsis. So those are things that you definitely want to have input from a marketing expert from from the get-go, you know, like it's something that, that is part of our collaborative process, you know, like we we – can also be involved in, in all of that kind of stuff and helping to figure those pieces out. It's really, really important because, you know, we are visual creatures. And so whether I'm seeing your book on Amazon or seeing it on a bookshelf, you know, I'm going to read the description. I'm going to look at the cover. I'm going to see whether it appeals to me. And again, I think that these are places where you don't want to, try to wing it yourself. Like for me, like I can do basic graphic design if I need to wing my Facebook cover, you know, sometimes in a crunch. Yeah. I do or whatever. But you don't want to do that for a book cover. You don't want a book that screams 
amateur because it's going to turn off your potential readers and you want your people, you know, you don't want to turn your audience away. So I think right. that that's good that you, you know, great that you're one-stop shopping. And something else, Alyssa, that although, you know, I've been a writer my whole life in every capacity that my college internships were at L Magazine and McGraw-Hill College Textbook Publishing and Copywriting that I still hadn't thought about the importance of the interior design of my book until I had the beautiful experience of working with Alyssa's company, Red Pen for Rent, and she assigned me an incredible interior designer. And, you know, it was. It's, I'm so glad to know about that, the importance of that. Can you talk about what the interior design of a book consists of and why, again, it's important, why someone may not want to skimp in this area? Um, it comes, that also encompasses a lot more than you would initially think about. You know, like, basically, good interior design is something that you shouldn't notice at all. So if you if you can just read a book and nothing about the interior jumps out at you, that's perfect. That's exactly what you want. But bad interior design will jump out at you very obviously. And it's very distracting things like um, extra large paragraph indents or irregular spacing between words, which is called kerning or um, irregular spacing between lines, which is called letting um, the font that is used like on um my interior designer was, I don't know, found some book, had some book. I think he found it at a store, like a thrift store or something. I don't know. But anyway, he took a picture of it, and it's it's obviously a nonfiction book, and the font that's used is Comic Sans, which is totally not appropriate for anything professionally published, but particularly <laughs> nonfiction, <laughs> right? Like, just things like that. Like you have to, you, the, the font matters. And like, we're, we're working right now on the second book of um, a series called Outcasts of the Worlds. And um, it's a cosmic fantasy. That's what the, the author calls it, which I love. I think it's great. It's, um it's about traveling between planets, but in a way that it's not, clear if it's science fiction or fantasy so anyway he calls it cosmic fantasy and the title design was it's like a custom made font that's kind of like the o's look like planets and it's all like futury like and so um we chose a font for the running heads that kind of complements that, you know, something that kind of has a similar feel. And for the chapter breaks, we chose little, little round circles that complement the, the O's and the title treatment, you know, like things like that. And just little, little details that can make your book look more professional. And, um, and, you know, I mean, those are embellishments. Those are not, you know, a necessary part of every interior design. Those are just things that we can do also, but, um, but, you know, like just the, the basics of, of making sure that the, you know, the alignment and the, the word breaks and the font and the, you know, the, the way that it, the way that it appears on the page, you know, you want that to be very seamless and not interrupt the reading experience in any way. That's a great way to put it so that it doesn't interrupt the reading experience. And there are also really great um, book design templates that have your book layout and design if you do feel that you can um, 
work with that and you can be able to make that work and you know you're on an extreme budget that there are those I'm trying to see if I could find um you can go to the site thebookdesigner.com or um creative pen the creative pen um pen with two ends because it's her last name dot com and maybe find out about a little bit about that um but I love the way that Alyssa put it that it shouldn't interrupt your reading so Alyssa when do people come to you if right now someone's listening to this and they are at various stages you know there's someone listening I'm sure who has a concept for a book there's another person who has you know, tons of files and pages and things and has never, you know, finished it and has been working on it for 10 years. And then there's someone who maybe has written a book and is trying to figure out what to do. When do people come to you? Generally, once something is written, like we need, because, you know, our first date is based on reading the full manuscript and going from there. So, so you need to have something written. Now, if that's just a pile of stuff that you can't figure out what to do with, we can work with that. You can send me that for a first date and I can help you start trying to figure out. I mean, obviously that would be something that would start with developmental editing. Um, but you know, I can out what to do with that. And we also do co-writing where I can actually, you know, get down there in the trenches with you and do the writing with you. I don't call it ghostwriting because I don't do true ghostwriting. I don't, I don't take it from, I can't, you can't just give me a concept and have me write it for you. That's not how I operate. Like I just don't, I just can't do that. It's way too much pressure. But um, but if if there's something that needs significant help and you want someone to actually help you do some of the rewriting, um, we can do that too. So um, so basically, it's usually at the stage where there's a rough draft. Um, but that being said, I'm also right now planning a writer's retreat for the third weekend in November, which will be um, a three-day weekend all-inclusive at Lake Junaluska in North Carolina, which is very near Asheville. Um, and we're going to just spend three days with workshops and private writing time. And so if someone has an idea and needs a dedicated space to figure out how to get to actually writing, then I guess we also cater to that now. <laughs> oh, that sounds very exciting. So what, what will people, um, what should people bring to the writing retreat and what will those three days consist of? Well, let me just pull up my, my schedule. It'll be, um, so we'll be arriving on like Friday afternoon um, and we'll start with that evening with a um, a social writing activity and then dinner together as a group. And then Saturday, we'll get up early, have breakfast, and then there will be workshops. I'm trying to open my document so I can see. So I can tell you exactly what those workshops would be, but it's a full day of workshops. There we go. Um, so session one will be on character development. Session And then there's a break, and session two is on crafting memorable scenes. And then we'll have lunch of soup and salad. And then there's session three, which is developing creativity and expression. And then we'll have some free time to write on your own for a few hours. And then in the evening, we'll have a finding your audience session with our marketing director, Joy. And then after that, there's going to be a Southwestern Thanksgiving dinner and probably a game night. Um, and then on Sunday, we'll have a late breakfast and um, just chat about how the retreat was and what people thought. And then solo writing time for as long as people want, because we have the place all day Sunday, basically. So that's, 
the basic idea. <laughs> and it's in this beautiful location, and there's a library, and there are 16, 16 rooms? Yeah, there's 16, no, 15 rooms. There are 15 rooms, so we're going to have 13 participants, and each participant will have their own room, so they'll have their own dedicated private writing space. Um, and then it'll be me and my marketing director, Joy, and um, Tracy Haney, who's a professor at UTC and a friend of mine, um, is going to be doing most of the sessions except for the finding your audience one, which will be joy. So that's the plan. We're very excited about it. That is oh, and it's super gonna be during, exciting. Yeah, and it's going to be during NaNoWriMo, of course, in November. So it's the weekend before Thanksgiving. And so we're going to be marketing. Hmm? Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. <laughs> oh no. Um we're just gonna be we'll be marketing it primarily to people who are participating in NaNoWriMo, you know, to, to catch up or have that dedicated time to make sure that you stay on goal. Because I personally have tried to do NaNoWriMo two or three times and I always fail. <laughs> I just don't have yeah. the discipline to make myself actually do it. So we're gonna create that space where you'll be surrounded by other writers. It'll be an opportunity to connect with other writers because writing can be such a solitary pursuit and if you live in a place where you don't have a writer's organization or if you live in a place where the writer's organization that there is is not one that you feel comfortable in or, you know, any number of reasons, then it, it'll be a space to connect with other writers. You, people will be forming, I'm sure, friendships that will last far beyond this weekend. Um, I just think it's going to be a super great event. I'm very excited about it. <laughs> It sounds amazing. I just want to clarify for our audience what nano 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 I was mispronounce it nano remo is. I, know, I always want to pronounce it nano remo, but apparently the yeah, correct I, way is nano rimo. No. But I think nano remo is better. Yeah, to me that feels more right. But what it is is National Novel Writing Month, which is November of every month, and so there are writing challenges and groups everywhere where people get together and try to spend the month focused on writing their book. And although it's National Novel Writing Month, people also focus on their nonfiction projects as well. And it's about, you know, having a focus time where you could be working with your peers or coaches, you know, like Alyssa has basically assembled her retreat or doing an online retreat and having a focused month where at the end of the month you could possibly have a rough draft of your fiction or nonfiction book. So that sounds yep. like an amazing retreat. Yeah. yeah the goal is to write 50,000 words in a month, 50,000 words in 30 days. That is amazing and awesome. Yay. Yay. Well, let me ask you a question, Alyssa. I know that you are focused on your happy place is helping the authorpreneur, helping authors who are indie authors and want to be independently published. Do you also work with people who are wanting to be traditionally published to get their manuscript perhaps uh, ready to be able to shop around, or are there things that you do in that area? We do, yeah. We can – we'll work with with anyone. I mean, not anyone, but, you know, we'll, any any manuscript that, that we feel passionately about, we're happy to work with. And even if people want to traditionally publish, they can still benefit from editing, definitely. You know, the 
traditional publishing world is even more competitive now than it's ever been because traditional publishers don't have the money to invest in untested authors anymore, even more, even more so than has traditionally been the case because there's so much competition from self-publishing. So it's very, very, very difficult to get on with a traditional publisher these days. And definitely having your manuscript professionally edited beforehand can give you a leg up. Although, honestly, I was a traditional publishing snob for a very long time, and I really was against the whole idea of self-publishing. And now I've done a complete 180, and I'm the complete opposite. I think that there's absolutely no reason that the traditional publishing should decide what is quote unquote worthy of publication. And I think that there are very, very few, if any benefits from publishing traditionally in most cases, because you, you still have to market your own stuff. What used to be the main draw for traditional publishing was the marketing might, but traditional publishers don't put their marketing muscle behind untested authors. So you still have to do your own marketing and prove that you can sell books before they're going to start putting money behind marketing your stuff. Um, and you give up a lot of creative control. The publisher is generally in charge of the cover design and that kind of thing, and you generally have very little say. Sometimes the publisher will also change your title. Um, you often don't get as much control over the edits. They will tell you that these are edits that they're going to make and you don't get an option. There are exceptions. Like I work with some small press publishers, like Ilva Publishing in Germany is a lesbian publisher, and their authors are very involved with everything that they do. So I think that there are exceptions and that in certain genres, if there are small presses, like, you know, some of the genres that we work with, fantasy, science fiction, lesbian fiction, those kind of niche markets, I think that there are traditional, small press traditional publishers that it might be worth seeking out. But as far as, like, literary fiction and going after big five publishers, I think it's not... I don't think it's the right path for most authors today. And I think that it's, you know, that it, it sacrifices too much in, in exchange for too little. You know, I don't think that there's, I don't think that there's enough benefit for it to be worth it. Yes. Self-publishing involves a lot of upfront costs. And that's, I mean, I guess that's the one major thing is not having the upfront cost. But if, I don't know, but I still think, but it's, again, it's very difficult to get on and probably it's just going to be years of frustration and getting rejected. Honestly, that's the reality of the situation. And so it's, it's, it's a payoff, you know, what are you willing to spend for your book? Do you want to spend the money now or do you want to spend the time and the frustration and, you know, how important is it to you to get your book out there? And, you know, how important is it to you to have control over the manner in which that happens? And, you know, so there are a lot of factors to weigh, but I think in most cases it balances out on the side of indie publishing these days. I had a, I have a very uh, similar opinion to yours, Alyssa, where in the beginning I was an extreme traditional publishing snob, although, you know, I definitely could see the benefits of self-publishing for certain genres because I grew up with a self-published author. And so at that time when I was growing up, you know, it was like, okay, you know, my dad had all of the books in the garage and then, you know, he was selling them. And it's very different now, you know, than where 
we all have contact with our audience, whether it's through social media or whatever it is. And so you don't necessarily need a go-between uh, to come in between you and your audience when, as Alyssa said, you're going to be the one marketing the book yourself. And I learned that, you know, when I was like, oh, okay, great. I'm signed with Simon & Schuster and I can just, you know, write my book and kick back and relax. And as, as I saw when, you know, book launch date was coming closer and closer and there wasn't anything planned that I was like, oh, wait, me, I'm supposed to do it. <laughs> that ultimately it's your book. And so if you're someone who, has a strong enough platform, which is what the big publishers are looking for, then you can weigh the pros and cons of, you know, whether it's beneficial. And frankly, you need, they need you more than you need them at this point. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, if you, you know, are wanting to sacrifice certain things, which I feel like time to me is money. It's the same thing. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, something that you may be able to get out to your audience working with a team like Red Pen for Rent, you may be able to get something to your audience in five months versus, you know, a year or a year and a half from now with, you know, shopping your book and picking it, you know, having a publisher and, you know, all of those things. So just weigh the pros and cons to know what's right for you. So, Alyssa, I think that this has been a really powerful conversation. Please share with us any closing thoughts on indie publishing and, again, how people can get in touch with you, either for your editing services or to attend that amazing retreat. Um. Yeah, well, we're still the retreat is still in the in the planning phases. Although in the next couple of days, hopefully, we're going to have the Eventbrite page ready to launch. So, um, but that'll I'll definitely be updating our Facebook and website with that information when it becomes available. So my website is www.redpenforrent.com, and uh, Facebook is the same Facebook slash Facebook.com slash redpenforrent, um, or you can search redpenforrent and Facebook. Um, so, and my, I can be contacted directly at Alyssa at redpenforrent.com. Um, so yeah, those are, those are our contact avenues. Um, yeah, I don't know that I have any final thoughts. <laughs> um, I can, well, maybe I should add that we're also, I'm also right now talking to, um, a friend of mine who's an attorney and I'm hoping to be able to partner with him to also offer um, like business consultation services and the ability to help create um, sole proprietorships or LLCs, depending on, you know, the author's needs. Um, if you become a business entity, this is something else to think about. If you become a business entity, then all of your expenses that go into producing your book are, you can write off on your taxes. Um, so it's, it's a good idea, not and not only for that reason, but it's also just a good idea to create a business. It can, um, it's just a way to be more professional. And I believe I'm not sure because I need to look into this, but I believe that you have to be a business to get an account with Lightning Source, Ingram Spark, and publish that way, which is the only way that you can publish hardcover. Create Space and Lulu, neither of them, I believe, allows you to publish in hardcover. So um, those are just some other things <laughs> to think about. Self-publishing is, is much like you think about, it and, it's, and it's very simple and everyone can do it these days, but there's also so much more that 
that can go into it. And um, if you're really looking to have a to create a professional writing career as an indie publisher, then those are things that you want to be thinking about from the beginning, marketing, creating a business, writing things off on your taxes, you know, all these kinds of, of other pieces. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for assembling a great team for those of us who are interested in being a part of the authorpreneur indie publishing world. And thank you for all of your advice. I know that you have been very helpful today to people who are listening, Alyssa. I hope so. I think you have been. And for you, my spiritpreneurs who are listening, I just want to just say that you deserve to tell your story. You deserve to tell it in the way that you want and need to tell it. That, you know, just, again, be clear about why this story or why this book, why now, why you're the person to tell it and make sure that all of that is on the page and that you're clear about who your audience is and that you are building a platform so that your tribe can receive the message that you were born to uniquely share with them. So I will see you in the next uh, Spiritpreneur School virtual classroom. You can subscribe on iTunes, uh, subscribe on SoundCloud and Stitcher Radio. And, of course, find me throughout social media at Abiola TV, where the TV stands for transformation and victory. All right. So thank you so much for listening. And if no one has told you today, I love you. Bye.